The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool G, Group Support. Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much by Helen Keller. Hi, and welcome to the A to Z Healing Toolbox podcast, where we discuss tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. Today, I'm so fortunate that Casey Gaunt will be with us. He is an inspiring individual who is going to be chatting with us about the integration of group support into his personal life and his professional life as he reaches a hand back to help others. But before we get to chat with Casey, I'd love to talk to you about the why. Why group support is important for us to integrate if we can on our healing journey. And I will be the first to tell you that I was not a group support person until Brent died. My mom always likes to say, you just march to the beat of your own drummer when you were a child. And I was that kid who did my own thing. And I was that adult who did my own thing. And I never thought I needed a group to do that with unless it was a sports team. I was that little girl who, instead of playing with those life-size dolls and using lip gloss, I was shooting a bow and arrow in the backyard with my big brother. And while my friends brought shiny toys and their fluffy kittens in for show and tell in the classroom, I was the one who gathered up a pet snake to share. And while some of my classmates were wearing tutus and point shoes for ballet and dance class, I was the one who had on cleats and a baseball hat because I was playing hardball baseball out with the neighborhood boys. So I never did the thing that folks thought I should or could be doing, including hanging out with groups uh, that could support me until I needed that. And after Brent died, I registered for my first group at a local hospice. Even though my situation was not a hospice situation, hospice is a wonderful place to access all resources. And this was a group for people who were living with profound loss of all types. And when I got to that group, I realized 
oh my gosh, these people look as horrible as I feel. And I don't think I really agree with the adage that misery loves company, but there was one thing I knew for sure when I looked at these people, I was not alone anymore. They were also hurting to the depths of their soul and I had found my people. Now, how does group support promote our healing? It can provide permission for us to grieve openly and freely in a safe, structured environment. Group support can also allow us the opportunity to receive emotional, social, and spiritual support. And group support promotes our healing by offering support and camaraderie to us throughout our personal growth and healing journey. I'd love to introduce you to my friend Casey Gaunt by telling you a little bit about his story and then he will fill in the rest of the gaps. In 1970, Casey's father died by suicide when Casey was 20 years old. In 2008, Casey's 24-year-old son, Jimmy, was accidentally struck and killed by a car while walking home from a party. In 2018, Casey retired from 43 years of practicing business law in San Diego to focus on his second and most rewarding career as an author, grief advisor, and community organizer in the world of grief and healing. Casey has founded a group of fathers in San Diego who have all lost children. They call themselves the fraternity and have grown to over 25 brothers that meet regularly. Casey and Jimmy have published their first book called Suffering is the Only Honest Work. Casey's second book called When the Veil Comes Down was released on Amazon in March of 2021. Casey and his wife, their daughter Brittany, their son-in-law Ryan and three grandchildren all live close by in Solana Beach, California. Today on the podcast, we have my wonderful friend, Casey Gaunt. Casey, thank you so much for being here. Oh, such a pleasure to see you and to be on your podcast. Well, thank you. And I have to tell everybody how we met because Casey, (laughs) you will learn as he starts talking. He has so many stories, but I think this is a cool story. Do you want to tell it? Because you were there. Well, let me tell the first part. You start the first part. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's a two-part story. Okay, so I have a fabulous hairdresser named Michael, and Michael came to my book launch and he bought a stack of books to take to his hair salon. And we all know that hairdressers are really psychologists, right? They listen to our problems all day long. So anytime Michael has a client that has a grief or trauma story, he gives them an A to Z healing toolbox book. And he happened to give one of my books to one of his other clients named Kathy. That's all I know. Then Casey, now it's your turn. There is a TV series called Touch that was on several years ago starring Keeper Sutherland. And one of the episodes, they always had a lead in uh, to each episode, sort of a monologue. And this one always struck struck me and stuck out for me. Uh, And it said, if two points are destined to touch, the universe will always find a way to make the connection. And our story is testament to that. I love that. Fall 2018, I'm on a plane heading back from Chicago to San Diego. Uh, I was back there for my 50th high school reunion. I've had three straight days of chat, okay? Nonstop chat. And right before the plane closed its doors, this woman comes on 
plops herself down in the seat next to me. Of course. And, but, you know, really nicely dressed and very, very effusive, very gregarious. And we start talking. She introduces herself and said that she's a doctor at the University of California at San Diego, UCSD in La Jolla. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, my daughter, Brittany, works at the suicide prevention program at UCSD. She goes, oh, that's interesting. I've heard about that. She goes, do you have any other kids? And I go, well, yes, I do. Uh, we have a son, Jimmy, 10 years ago, was accidentally struck and killed by an automobile. He was 24 years old. And she goes, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I've lost two husbands. And then she starts telling me, you know, all the struggles she's been through with grief and with, you know, with the loss and her own health problems. And I said, well, you know, I wrote a book and I had it with me. I gave it to her. It was our first book, Suffering is the Only Honest Work. And she looks at it and she goes, oh, my God you have got to meet Susan Hannafin McNabb. She just wrote a book and you two guys have to meet and talk and connect. And she said, as soon as I get back to San Diego, I'll make the connection. And she did. And Susan and I had coffee uh, a few weeks later and we've been good friends and colleagues ever since. Glad you shared that. And it's a sure. dual story too. So it's a, yeah, two parts. Yeah. Fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Well, one of the things that really struck me when we first met is the fact that you practiced law for over 40 years. And at some point you did a switcheroo into counseling, grief help, trauma, group support. We're focusing on letter G today. Right. Of a group of people that you work with. So I'm wondering if we can back up a little bit and you can share a little bit about what brought you to this second career that you have. And you mentioned Jimmy. So I'm wondering if you can tell everyone just a little bit about your personal story and what brought you here. Happy to. Uh, in 1970, 38 years before uh, our, our son was killed, my father, the strongest man in the world, died by suicide. I was a junior in college. I was so angry, so frustrated, so frightened by the suicide that I spent the next 38 years just running away. That's how I dealt with it. I didn't do any grief work. I didn't do any group work. I didn't do anything but run. And then when, when Jimmy died, I was really at that point forced to confront not only Jimmy's death, but finally my father's death. It all came rushing in at the same time. And I was, um, you know, in a very dark place. I'd, I'd lost the two most important men in my life. And, um, and then three months after Jimmy died, I was reunited with my father in a very miraculous way. I can tell you briefly that story if you want. Uh, it's in the book. Yes, <laughs> I love tell, that story. I'll, I'll tell it very, uh, very briefly. The letter this, story. The letter story. This is this is the game changer for me. This is what caused the switcheroo. Three months after Jimmy died, I get a call from a woman named Emily Buckberry, who's from Colwood, West Virginia. And she said, Casey, when you know when you left back in 1968, we're talking 40 years ago. Wow. You left, you left something behind and, and I wanted to get it to you, but you know, work and college and everything got in the way. So I didn't uh, you know, I didn't get around to it. I, what happened is I, I spent the summer working on a construction job in Colwood. Uh, my grandfather and father's construction company had a project there digging a big shaft for the coal mines. Uh, Colwood was a company-owned town. Colwood was the hometown of Homer Hickam, who in 1998 
wrote a best-selling memoir, Rocket Boys, later made into a movie called October Sky, and it all takes place in his hometown. <clears throat> she said, yeah, after you left, uh, I went by your room. We were both saying the same boarding house. Uh, she said, I found a letter, and it was from your father, and it was laying outside your room next to a wastebasket. And I thought, you know, why did Casey leave it here? Why did he throw it away? She picked it up and said, God, this is a pretty nice letter. So she said, I kept it. And then 40 years later, she Googles me, finds me at my law firm and calls me. So hold on. She kept this letter for 40 years. 40 years. Wow. During the call, she asked me, so, you know, are you married? Yes. Do you have kids? Yes. Uh, we have a daughter. And I told her about Jimmy and it just floored her. She was stunned. She didn't, you know, very gregarious, outgoing woman, but you know, this stopped her cold. And uh, she didn't ask me anything about my dad, but she says, you know, do you, do you want this letter? And I go, uh, sure, you know, send it to me. Right after the call, I just was enveloped in goosebumps and tears mm -hmm. because I, I knew something big was happening. Why is she calling me 40 years later, three months after my son has died with something from my father? The letter arrived the, uh, the next Saturday. It was a few days later. We had spent the day at the beach, read some of Jimmy's ashes in the ocean. It was a gorgeous day. I come back to the house and the letters, the letter package from Ms. Buckberry is in my mailbox and I pull it out and I read the letter and it's the most beautiful letter. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. My father was telling me things like he's talking to me man, man to man. He's talking about a depression that he suffered in his youth, insecurity as a child, a religious fanatical mother he couldn't reason with, a war, World War II. And then he's giving me all this advice saying, you control your destiny. You have all the tools to be successful. I don't think I'm successful, but others will have to judge me, but you can do it. Just go to work. Uh, and he closed the letter with this. It was long. It was two full pages handwritten. He said, anytime you want me, I'll be there because I care more than you'll ever know. My son, all love, dad. What I didn't mention is that Saturday, the day the letter arrived, was Jimmy's 25th birthday. Wow. The letter arrived on his birthday because my dad some way, somehow knew that was going to be one of the hardest days of my life. And he was there with me as he promised he would be. Wow. Talk you know, about support. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that, Susan, that changed everything for me. I stopped running away from him and I started running towards him. I said, I realized that he was always watching over me and Jimmy always loving me right no matter how hard i tried to not love him back he was always there and then what you did casey at some point is you started running toward other people to help them so how did that happen because you're a big supporter you offer a group for men who are grieving the loss of children how did that happen well the uh um, the day after Jimmy died, I got a call from a colleague, an attorney colleague of mine, uh, Richard Page. And Richard said to me, and I'll never forget it. I, I can't remember how many calls I got that day, but I, I certainly remember this one very clearly. He said, Casey, I'm so sorry about Jimmy. 
you've just joined the most horrible fraternity there is. And I know because and I, he had lost his son to a car crash seven years earlier. And he said, this is going to be so hard for you, but I'm going to help you. Uh, I'll be checking in on you every three months or so. And he did. Two years later, he calls me up and said, you're not going to believe who I've just had coffee with. He said, it's a guy named Greg Post. And he, his daughter, Amanda, was killed in a horrible car crash along with several others driving home from Mammoth from high altitude uh, track training. And of course, I knew the story because uh, it was all in the papers. His daughter, Amanda, who was 18 years old, a super superstar track athlete headed to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo on a full ride track scholarship in the fall. She died on August 9, the same day as Jimmy, two years later. And I made a, you know, a note to myself, well, I got to reach out to, to Greg, right? Uh, but I did. Back then, I wasn't a group guy. I was doing a lot of writing. Uh, I was doing a lot of sharing, but it was, it, it was more impersonal. If you will, I wasn't sitting down one on one with 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 people. Ultimately, in 2013, five years after Jimmy died, Greg Post, Richard Page, and I got together for our first meeting of the fraternity. And at that meeting, we told our stories. You know, we shared everything we've been going through, and then we also showed each other our tattoos. I didn't know they had tattoos. They didn't know I had a tattoo, but each of us had tattoos in our child's handwriting. Wow. On my back, I have Suffering is the Only Honest Work, the title of Jimmy's and my first book, which uh, he the, that was the title of a poem that he wrote shortly after he ran the 2007 Los Angeles Marathon. And he wrote the title of the poem in his handwriting and signed his name in his handwriting, but the poem itself was typed. So I've got what he wrote by hand on my back. Somebody around that time, maybe a couple of years later, asked me a good, I think a very good question. He said, Casey, when did you feel like you made a turn with your healing? What was, you know, can you, can you describe what that was? And I said, yeah, I can. Uh, I felt I had reached another level when I felt I was in a place where I could begin to help others. And so that's when I really dug in, um, doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with uh, parent and uh, continuing to write. But then we, that's when we started the fraternity and we built the fraternity organically. Uh, I, I mean, I wish there was a fraternity when right after Jimmy died. Uh, I mean, there were group, uh, of course, but neither Hillary, Brittany, or I were comfortable just walking into a group of people we didn't know. Okay. Um, but the way we built our fraternity is we, um, I know somebody, uh, Greg knows somebody, and then that person knows somebody else. And so we built it that way. And we're up, well, I think we have 25 fathers now in the group. Uh, and we meet, you know, every two or three months. And I also around, around that same time started what I call the tribe. And that's a uh, just an email distribution list. And I'm on that list. <laughs> I'm part of the tribe. You are part of the tribe. You're a big part of the tribe. And, and I share things that I write or that, you know, uh, others write or others are doing. Like I share, uh, I've shared Susan's book. I've shared her podcast. I've shared her appearances on other podcasts. So it's a way to stay connected uh, with not only my fraternity members, but my, you know, I soror my sorority sisters and the others that are, are working uh, like me 
and other parents and uh, other widows and things like that. So, but I'll tell you the fraternity, and it's rather interesting, Susan, I've got this book. You probably have it too. It's called Healing After Loss. Yes. It was written by Martha Whitmore Hickman, and it has daily meditations in it. Yes. So uh, I just, right before our call, I pulled up the meditation for February 4, which is today. Okay. And the message is, knowing I have company in my struggle can help me see my way through. How perfect is that? Perfect. Wow. And you've really talked about three different types of groups, group support in this last two minutes. One, the organic kind, you create your own group, which is wonderful. The second is you can go to a group that's already been formed Mm -hmm. and check those out. And then the third is you can get on something as simple as an email list. I mean, that is a group support mechanism, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's a blog post that people are commenting on, or whether it's a wonderful email list like you have that goes out to how many people are on this support list in the tribe? We have about 140. So you're impacting so many people. You have this fraternity of fathers, and then you've got this tribe of sisters and brothers in grief and trauma healing. So it's just wonderful. Do you think also, or can you share a little bit about how the group support has affected other people that you work with? Because I think that's important for people to hear that these tools in the toolbox and and the tools that you share with people, these are not just, we're not just making this up. This stuff actually works. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit, you know, a few stories maybe, or what you've seen in some of the dads or the sisters that you work with, um, as far as them being supported in a group, how has that affected them? This kind of group work is so important. Uh, And since we started the fraternity, oh gosh, nine years ago. Well, actually, yeah, it's nine years ago. I've witnessed some amazing things. Number one is our group, and you write about this in in A to Z, which is a fabulous book. I recommend it and buy it for people all the time because it's so practical and it's so it's so straightforward. It, it you provide these concrete steps in. Uh, it's it's amazing, but you write about you know creating a safe place for people to share their stories. Yes, and that's what our fraternity does. It's a safe place. It provides, especially the new dads. And I, I, I'll step back one one step. This kind of work is so important for men because men are not good at this. Men are not good at talking about. Uh, their personal feelings or their personal tragedies uh, or their struggles. Or men are supposed to be strong and supposed to move on and get back up on the horse. And of course, we know that just doesn't happen. It doesn't work. For the new members, the new brothers that come into the fraternity, you know, their first or second meeting, I mean, they're realizing, number one, they're not alone. They're not alone. With, they're listening to other dads tell their stories, most of the time worse than their own. I mean, if, you know, as far as uh, what they've been through, these new brothers also see that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. It's okay to open up. And I'll tell you, when when I see a, a new dad tell his story, 
And this probably will be the first time that he's told the story in a group setting. They're always crying. They're always, you know, struggling to get through it. But then there's like this load that gets lifted off their back. They've, they're lighter. They've given some of their load to their brothers. And they've been witnessed, right? Yes, exactly. I've had, and I've, I've been surprised. I mean, I invited one good friend of mine um, uh, who lost a, a son to a uh, accidental drug overdose four years ago. And he, uh, you know, talk about a guy who would not talk about it and, you know, just, but he got to that meeting and he heard a couple of other dads share their stories. And this guy just like motor mouth. I mean, it was amazing everything that he was sharing and asking questions and just, he was such a strong participant. And now when I see him, you know, he was so grateful, but, and he's just lighter. He's just, he's, he's just lighter. And he'll talk now more about it with me. The other thing that I think is, is really important about this support group is perspective. Uh, The new dads come in and they see dads like me that are on this journey for eight years, 10 years uh, or more. And they look and they go, Hmm, you made it. You're still, you're still functioning. You're still, you're not only functioning, you're thriving. And then the, the veteran brothers like myself, when we look at these new dads, it provides us perspective. Like, Oh, we were there. We know exactly what these guys are going through. Look at where we're at now. I mean, it's a way we measure our progress with our healing. Yes. And, and that really can only happen in a group setting like that when you're face to face with these guys. Yes. There's yeah. so much power in the group perspective, yeah. as you say, and just not feeling alone. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I walked into Camp Widow and I know I've talked to you about Camp Widow before, this mm-hmm. three-day conference for widowed people, I just saw... 300 widowed people, some who were 10 years out, some who were five years out, some who were, you know, just about my time frame. But I would look, as you say, I would look to the folks who were ahead of me and say, okay, if they are doing this, then I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. And that can only be done in a group. Don't you think? I mean, we can't do this work in a vacuum. No, not at all. Not at all. You need that interpersonal connection and relationships. The other thing about the group, I'm just speaking to my group, but I've seen it, you know, with others. The really amazing thing is that I've had the privilege to witness over these last nine years is I look at the the new dads that come in and they're helpless. You know, they're just so raw. They're so beat up. They're just they're desperate for any help, any guidance, any support they can get. And then to watch them progress within, you know, maybe it's three years, four years, five years. Now they're helping others. They're helping the new dads. They're putting their arm around them and say, I've got a story for you. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch. And that's, and, and again, that only happens in a group, especially a group that meets, you know, regularly and over a, a, a long period of time. It, and it's just a beautiful thing to see these guys make that turn like I did, you know, where they f- are at a place now where they feel they can help others. Reaching a hand back. Yeah. 
It's a beautiful thing to witness. It really is. Wow. It makes me emotional just because I know it's so important and uh, it's so necessary. Yes. Right. It, it, it is. And I love the power of group support because you can see people behind you, see people in front of you. You get to witness the reaching backwards, the reaching forwards, the reaching yeah. across. I'm so glad that you're on this podcast, not only because you're amazing and you're my friend and you have this wealth of knowledge, but, and I love Jimmy, by the way, I love the fact that you're a man and you're doing this work and you're helping other men be okay with being vulnerable. Yeah. So is this how you've always been or did this happen over time? And can you speak to just gender for a minute? Because I know society says, you know, men have to, as you say, you know, be the strong ones and help everyone else and pull yourselves up. How can we help men get into group settings? I mean, I know there are two questions there. So how did that look for you? Was there a change? And then how can we help more men be okay with coming into groups? Well, for me, as I mentioned earlier, I, I did nothing um, to, to mourn or grieve uh, or get help after my, my father's suicide. I think I wrote in the first book, I was horrible uh, dealing with others' grief and loss. Uh, in fact, I had a dentist for a long time whose son, four-year-old son, tragically uh, died digging a cave in their backyard with a friend and it collapsed and, and they suffocated. And so how did I deal with that? I found a new dentist. I mean, that was, that was Casey. I, I call it BJ before Jimmy. Yeah. I too couldn't much. do it. It was too much. Um, and, and as I also said, my change, my, op my opening was, was certainly my dad coming through to me. And I, I knew instantly, Susan, that that was not meant just for me. That was meant to be shared as widely and broadly as I could. Um, and all of the, you know, all of the experiences, the, the synchronicities and, and the like that, that we've been fortunate to experience and receive and, and that others have, uh, you know, other fraternity brothers of mine, uh, those are all meant to be shared. And so I backed in, <laughs> I backed into the group. You got uh, forced, right? I got, I got, that's a good way to put it. I was forced. I was kicked in the can and forced into it and so glad I did. But I think for, for other dads out there, uh, for anybody, get online and, and, and look for groups in your area. There's, for example, there's a couple of, that you and I are both familiar with. There's a group called Helping Parents Heal, which is uh, an online group that you and I have both uh, been involved in and spoken um, before. There's a, a subgroup uh, called Helping Fathers Heal. I've spoken to their, their group and they're, they're they're meeting uh, uh, on Zoom every two weeks. Okay. And so I would encourage, you know, the dads out there, if you're looking for a group, check it out. Helping Fathers Heal. It's, uh, uh, it's easy to find online. And uh, the guy who runs the group is great. You know, they'll have meetings where just the dads will talk or they'll have a speaker come in like I've done and others have done. Or like these online groups where it doesn't really matter where you live. They, they've got guys calling in to Helping Fathers Heal from India and and Great Britain. And, yes. Uh, you know, it's amazing. That's um, the beauty of the virtual world right now, yes. that people yeah. can connect with a group, even if it's virtual. And they're so important. As I said, I was, you know, we were fortunate to, to be able to start our own. 
Uh, but you don't have to do that. I mean, that's, again, I kind of backed into that as well, but take a, you know, take a look online and, and talk to others. Um, I got a lot of help from a psychologist right after Jimmy died. And, and I continue to talk to him, you know, every couple months or so. Well, I appreciate you being a role model for men and women as far as what you're doing, um, the group support that you offer, and you encourage other others to see. And I'm wondering if you can tell everybody, if, if folks hear this podcast and they want to find you, where can they find you? And can you just, I know when I introduced you, I mentioned your books, which I have right here in my hand. Oh, there they are. I know the two <laughs> books. So can you mention, you know, the titles of your books, where people can find them and where people can connect with you? Sure. Be happy to. The, the first book you showed, Suffering is the Only Honest Work, there. And second book, When the Veil Comes Down, that came out in 2016. And I've got another one. You're a writing so, machine, Casey. This is, this is The Gaunt Case Clans. And it's actually a book of stories that I've written over the last several years about my family um, and some of the interesting characters in it. But, uh, but that really would. I, and, but I'll, I will tell you, though, that. The first chapter in that book is called Healing with History, and that's a topic for another day. But I really believe strongly looking into your past helps you with healing in the present. I agree. So I, I, I write about that. But you can find those three books if you go to Casey Gaunt, that's two Ts.com. Uh, that's my author book site. And so the, the, the books are there. Uh, and uh, the ways to access them on Amazon and Kindle. And you can also find me and what I'm writing currently about on our website, writemesomethingbeautiful.com. Then you can always email me uh, at number one at gmail.com. Well, thank you so much for being here on this podcast. I know that everyone's going to get a lot out of this conversation. So hats off to you, my friend. And thank you, Susan. And congratulations to you. And I'm so grateful to you for all this amazing work that you're doing, helping uh, so many others. Thank you. Right back at you. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z healingtoolbox.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. 
I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.